We're at James chapter 1 and with a theme in this series in the book of James, Lessons in the Trial. Lessons in the Trial, James chapter 1. This is our third installment in this book. And the title of today's message is The Word of God in Action. The Word of God in Action. Now notice, there is a lot of similarities that are taking place in the church that the apostle and disciple James is writing to, and also the church that we're living in today. Now, this was a persecuted church. This was a church that was undergoing persecution due to their faith. This was a church that was facing many trials, that was facing even many tribulations. But as we're going to learn here in James chapter 1, that the church was going through this persecution, but their faith was growing. That persecution, that trial, that tribulation was an opportunity for their faith to grow. You see, we learned in the last few weeks that the believer's endurance in trials is that which proves our faith. When you're enduring in a trial, what, it do, what does it do? It proves your faith. But we also learned that the believer's victory over temptation now demonstrates our character. How are we to overcome temptations in trials. When we do overcome them through the Word of God and through prayer, it, it demonstrates our characters, but also the believer's response now. Today, your response to the Word of God is an evidence of true saving faith. It's an evidence of true transformation. You see, it's been said before that the real pandemic in the church is that we are hearers, but not doers. How many times have you come to church and listened to a message and maybe you like the message, you've underlined that verse in your Bible, that promise in your notebook and you've written it down, you've taken it with you, but nothing has really changed in your life. The real problem is that we are hearers and oftentimes not doers. So in today's text, we're going to go from belief into behavior, from belief into Behavior. I like how Charles Swindle said it when he said these two estranged partners must be reconciled in our Christian walk. These two partners must be reconciled, the belief and also the behavior. Because you know what happens when we become a hearer only and not a doer? It diminishes our effectiveness as a believer. It paralyzes now the impact of the church. I think even today we're going through times where maybe the, the effectiveness or the impact of the church now can now be restrained, being that we want to hear but not do. God is calling us to be more doers than ever in the days that we're living in. You see, He's talking to them about this because there's a self-deception in thinking now that we are saved, that we're walking with God, that we're right with God when they really weren't here in the book of James. And they were thinking that they were spiritual when they really weren't that spiritual. <laughs> you know, the biggest awakening in your life is when you find out that you are not or you weren't as spiritual as you thought you were. <laughs> and you usually find that out through trials. But today we're going to learn about a faith that is obedient. About a faith that moves into action. About a faith that, that responds to all of God's Word, not just the sum of God's Word, to that response to all of God's Word and declares itself to be real saving faith. 
Now, I want you to know this, that as we look into the Word of God in today's text and to other portions of Scripture, that we must be honest about what we see in our lives as we look at the Word of God. And also, we must be able to receive the Word of God in our lives in order for it to change our lives. Now, these are three major qualities that we're going to need today in trials. Number one, to receive the Word of God. He wanted the church, James wanted the church that is going through trials to, number one, receive the Word of God. After receiving it, number two, to obey the Word of God. Obey the Word of God. But then number three, that we would share the Word of God. Do you see that you have three responsibilities as you're going through the trial? Number one, to receive the Word of God. Number two, to obey the Word of God, but also to share the Word of God. Now let's go here in James chapter 1, verse 19, and let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be able to spend time in your word this morning. We pray, Lord, that we would allow nothing to distract us from what you want to show us today. We thank you, Lord, because as we receive the word of God, you've given it to us so that we can obey it and also that we can share it, God. Lord, give us the boldness that we need to be doers and not only hearers of the word. And we pray this all in your name, in Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen. Amen. So it says this in James 1 verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive. Notice that. And receive. Here's the verse, key verse, to our first point. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now notice this, as we're going into the book of James, as we're studying this chapter one, that he's exhorting them, encouraging them to do something about what they have received when it comes to the word of God. But not only does he tell them to receive, he gives you an attitude as to how you ought to receive the word of God. Now he tells them this after now, encouraging them to overcome temptations, in verse 19, it says, So then, with that being said, knowing that God wants to use this trial to grow you, knowing that God wants to use this trial to mature you now, so then, my beloved brethren. Now, notice this. He has to remind them, before he tells them this exhortation, that they are loved. Notice he tells them, Beloved. Because he wants to remind them, you are loved before I tell you this next exhortation. Beloved brethren, let every man, everyone that, that, that is now giving us and, and exhorting us to every man and woman, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. These three encouragements and exhortations. Let every single person under the trial be swift to hear. Now, what does that mean, swift to hear? Everyone be quick to listen. We must be quick to listen if we are going to receive the Word of God. Now, quick to listen to what? Quick to listen to the Word of God. Quick to hear what God has to say in His Word. Do you notice that in every trial that we're facing, the first thing that we want to do is to speak or maybe to even give our opinion our position or our interpretation of what's taking place. And here he says, no, in the trial church, you must be quick 
to listen to what God has to say. Now, why are we to be quick to listen to what God has to say? In fact, Romans chapter 10, verse 19, it says, So then faith comes by hearing, faith comes by hearing, and hearing of the Word of God. Notice this, you must be quick to listen to the Word of God, must be quick to listen to what God has to say in His Word to you. Because your faith comes by hearing, and hearing of the Word of God. But notice this, you must be quick to listen, and also number two, slow to speak. <laughs> we must be, learn to remain silent in the trial, slow to speak. Now, do you know why we must be slow to speak? Because you can't receive anything if you're too busy talking. <laughs> Have you ever tried to listen to instructions while you're talking at the same time? You cannot receive those instructions if you're too busy talking. Oftentimes, we cannot listen to the voice of God or receive from the Word of God because we're too busy trying to do all the talking. In fact, he says, I want you to be slow to talking so that you can learn more this way. <laughs> now, l listen to what Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 talks about when we are quick to speak. And notice, this is a temptation that in the trial we are quick to speak, quick to defend ourselves, quick to try to now resist what the Word of God has to say. And he's telling the church here in James, be slow to speak and listen to what the Word of God has to say. Don't be quick to try to defend yourself, to justify yourself, or to find an excuse why you do not have to obey the Word of God, why this doesn't apply to you. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, it says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. You see, the most dangerous thing that we can do is to try to always speak. In fact, sometimes when we over-communicate, oftentimes it leads us to sin. There are times that we want to share our opinion or, or try to defend ourselves or I'll let that person know what I think. And notice quickly what it does. Our words lead us now to sin. You cannot trust a bitter heart. Do not trust your tongue when you have a bitter heart or an angry heart or you have lost your temper. Do not trust your tongue. Because the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can trust it? And if our heart is desperately wicked, think about what our words are capable of doing. Think about what your words are capable of doing. Now notice this. Be now slow to speak, quick to listen. And he goes on in the third exhortation of verse 19, and slow to get angry. Have you ever felt that you're always getting angry at somebody? Maybe a spouse, your children, <laughs> that boss, that co-worker, slow to get angry. In fact, this, there's an encouragement here because we would be angry less frequently if we listened more and if we talked less. <laughs> You'd be angry less frequently if, you're, if you were quick to listen and you were slow to speak. Now, not only are we learning more this way, but too many times here, even he's speaking to the church here, because the church was arguing, arguing with what the Word of God had to say to them, and they were angry about it. 
And not only were they arguing about with the word of God, but the, but if not was it was it wasn't with their lips, it was with their minds now, and they were becoming very defensive to the word of God. Have you ever listened to a message and and you almost try to take it out on the preacher? Like man, I don't even like how he teaches anyway, <laughs> or I don't like that church. But it's really not about the messenger; it's about the message of God's word. And he's saying, I want you to be quick to listen, slow to speak. And don't get angry. <laughs> Receive it. Do not become defensive now. Do you know that, that sometimes even in this culture of, that he was writing to, that, that the, the congregation or the church would want to speak out and argue against the, the pastor or the teacher that was speaking the word? And he said, hey, don't get angry. Receive the message and let it be from the Lord to you because it's coming from the word of God. How many of the fights that we are in result because of short tempers and hasty words. You quickly become angry at someone because of a short temper and because you spoke too soon. How many times have we gotten in trouble because we spoke too soon? In fact, here what he's saying in verse 19 is refuse to be angry at the word of God because it's revealing in you what is sinful and what needs to change. It's almost like a man getting a mirror and getting upset at a mirror or breaking that mirror because he doesn't like what he sees. <laughs> Do you notice how he's going to tell us that the Word of God is there to reveal? It's a revealer of secrets as to what must change in our lives. In 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, all of it. And it's profitable, it's good for, it profits for doctrine, for teaching, for truth, for reproof or correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, do you notice how the Word of God is there to expose our sinfulness and the nature in us that needs to and must change? Let's go to verse 20. For the wrath of man or the anger in man does not produce the righteousness of God. The human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Doesn't accomplish God's righteous character or God's righteous holiness. Our human anger, it doesn't produce anything of the character or of the nature or of the holiness of God. In fact, our wrath, our anger always simply defends or promotes our own agenda. You see, the wrath of God doesn't produce the righteousness, the character, the holiness of God. Notice this. Anger is the opposite of patience. Write that down in your Bibles. Anger is the opposite of patience. And patience is what God wants to produce in you through trials. The moment that we lose our temper is the moment that we're saying, I am unwilling to grow in the season that God has me in. In fact, I like how one... A commentator once said it. He said, temper is such a valuable thing, it's a shame to lose it. <laughs> temper is such a valuable thing, it's a shame to lose it. Here he's telling the church, make sure that you don't become angry and sin while you're in the trials. Now let's go here to verse 21, as he now is telling us to lay aside certain things as we've received the word of God. Therefore, Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Get rid of all sin, all filthiness, all evil in your lives. Here he's speaking about get rid of all impurity 
and get rid of anything that is of pollution. Get, get rid of anything that comes and contaminates your life. Anything that overflows of wickedness here and receive. Now, why are you to lay aside so that you can receive? You ought to make room for the Word of God by laying aside anything that comes to pollute your mind and your heart. Now, the Word of God in God's Word is given to us as we liken it to a seed. A seed. And your heart is the soil. Now, in order for that seed to grow in the correct soil, what do you need to do to that soil? You need to break through that soil. You need to get rid of all those weeds so that that seed can grow in such a healthy way. Here he's saying, get rid of all the weeds in your heart, lay them aside so that the Word of God can come and it can be planted in your heart and grow in a very healthy, nutritious way. Now, do you know why sometimes the Word of God doesn't grow in our hearts the way it's supposed to grow? Because we want also other things to grow there as well. We also want the weeds of pride. We also want the weeds of ego. We also want the weeds of anger and of bitterness to grow there. Therefore, the Word of God cannot grow as it should there. And he's saying, lay aside those things so that you can be transformed by the Word of God, by making room in your heart and in your life. By making room. You see, this is what, it's, what it means to have a prepared heart. What it means to have a prepared heart is, is to come in confession, Lord, here are the things that I, I need to uh, have forgiveness of, Lord, my sins. But Lord, I also want to come in humility to receive and accept what it is you have for me. Now let's keep reading verse 21. And receive with meekness. Receive with what? With humility, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What are you to receive? You ought to receive the Word of God. But how are you to receive it? You ought to receive it humbly. Here he's saying, accept the Word of God humbly, which He planted now in your hearts and has the power to save the soul. You see, the fruitful heart is one that receives the Word of God with meekness. You want to have a fruitful heart, a fruitful life, a fruitful devotional walk? Then you must receive the Word of God with humility. Receive it. Welcome it. That's the product of good soil in the heart. The product of good soil in one's heart is that you are receiving the Word of God with meekness, with humility. You're not arguing at the Word of God. You're not rejecting it. You're not twisting it to conform your own ideas and values. You're not doing any of that. Oftentimes when we try to argue with the Word of God, it doesn't promote spiritual growth. In fact, what it cultivates is more weeds in our hearts. We ought to not argue with the Word of God and receive all of it. Receive everything in His Word. Don't just receive the things that are convenient. Receive those things that are going to cost the denial of self. You see, we're, we're living in a time where maybe we challenge the Word of God. But the Word of God is inerrant. It's infallible. It's true. It's righteous. It can be trusted. Therefore, he says, receive it. And the word here, receive now, it's, it's the Greek word, dekomai. I'm going to tell you what this means. It means more than passively accepting it. You're not just saying, well, I accept that. I, I receive that. But it includes the idea of fully embracing that and making it a part of yourself. I don't just passively accept it. I, I'm fully embracing that and, and making it a part of myself. 
In fact, you're receiving it with joy. You're receiving it with humility. You're receiving it with great eagerness. In the book of Acts, there was a group of people called the Bereans. The Bereans. They knew how to interpret the Word of God, that understanding of the Word of God in light of current events. They knew how to interpret it, how to divide the Word of God. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says this about the Bereans when they received the Word of God. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word with all readiness and searched the Scripture daily to find out whether these things were so. Are you receiving the Word of God with all readiness? With all readiness means I am receiving it. I'm ready not only to receive it, I'm ready to apply it. I'm ready to let it be a part of my life. This is where he's saying, I want you to receive it with the right attitude. Because if we don't receive the Word of God with meekness now, guess what happens? We will never apply it in our lives. It will never become alive in our lives. Charles Swindle said this, Anger slows our response time, and pride keeps us from exposing our true selves to the light of the Word. Pride and anger, it slows our now response time. But humility means submitting to whatever the Word has to tell us. Ready to put off the thoughts and the deeds of the old life in favor of the attitudes and the actions of the new. Why? Because it has power to save your soul. Do you notice why it's so important to receive the Word of God? Because it has power to transform your life. Let the Word of God come and take root in your heart and break the hard soil and receive it. Receive the Word of God because you ought to receive it before you can do it. If you don't receive it this way, you're not going to be able to do it. And it's not enough only to hear it and to receive it. You also must do it. Now verse 22, notice this. But be doers of the Word of God and not only hearers, deceiving yourselves. Be a doer, not only a hearer. Because if you're a hearer, you are deceiving yourself. You're fooling yourself. It's almost saying you are lying to yourself. And in verse 22, this is exactly what he wants them to know. Not only hearers deceiving yourself. A hearer, notice here in verse 23, it says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now notice that. If you only hear the Word of God but never do it, it's like if you're going in front of a mirror. You go to the mirror and you see all the now changes that need to be made in your appearance. Everything that, that maybe need to, you need to uh, take careful attention to. But then you turn away and you completely forgot what you saw. And what is a mirror good for? Notice. A mirror is good for exposing now those imperfections that maybe we want to give attention to. And this is important here because he's saying, I, I want you to be like someone that goes and he studies carefully. Don't just go glance and walk away. Oftentimes when we go to the Word of God, we just take a quick glance and we walk away and it really doesn't do much for us. And we forget now what is exposing in our lives. We immediately forget. It has no lasting impact. It has no lasting effect. And therefore we walk in disobedience. You know, the ministry of the Word of God has a few things that it wants to accomplish in your life first. It's there for examination. The Word of God, what you have in your hand, it's there for examination. Why examination? Because it reveals to you 
your sin and what you need to change in your life. And we have to be honest about what we see. Just think about it. If you go in front of a mirror and you're not honest about what you see, will you ever change anything? <laughs> it's like standing in front of a mirror with your eyes closed <laughs> and then walking away and in your mind believing, I look so good. Oftentimes, that's what we do when we look at the Word of God. We take a quick glance at it. We walk away, but it never does anything to us because we don't study it carefully. We walk up to it carelessly. Now, notice what he's saying here. Be careful. It requires attention. It requires sincere devotion. It's not about just a quick glance. Remember what you see and remember what God says that you must do about His Word. Remember what you see and remember what God has says that you must do. But verse 25, let's read on. It says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Now it's not talking about he who forgets, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. You're going to be, there's a blessing in obedience here that he wants to tell us. These are the effects of living the Word of God. It's one that looks in the Word of God and continues to look. Continues, looks, it makes, uh, gives us a definition here of, of one that takes time and sees and examines the Word of God to now see the state of his soul. We're going to continue. We're going to continue to see the Word of God and let us examine our lives in the state of our souls. Why? Because it's the perfect law of liberty why perfect has no error it's perfect it's infallible it's the sufficient word of god you're going to look into the sufficient word of god and you're going to continue to look at it because it's going to tell you now the state of your soul and guess what it is it's not only perfect but it's the law of liberty why is it the law of liberty because it sets you free from your sin there are often times that we come to the lord and we want the lord to take this thing in our lives away. We want the Lord to deal with this issue. Well, guess where you get freedom? You get freedom from the Word of God. It has a power to break the chains and set you free now. And this is exactly what he's saying. It gives you freedom from sin. And it tells us here as he continues in verse 25, he says that he's a doer of the Word of God. This one will be blessed in what he does. This is the blessing. This is the path. Of obedience that person will be blessed in everything they do because they will be doing everything according to what the Word of God says they will be blessed in everything that they do because they will be doing everything according to what the Word of God says Charles Spurgeon says this the Word of God is a revealer of secrets it shows man his life his thoughts his heart and his inmost self it reveals to you your heart, yourself, your, 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 your intentions, your motivations now, and it changes you. I like what Warren Worsby said when he said this, too many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. How many times have you marked your Bible, but your Bible is not marking your life? You see, in Psalms chapter 119, verse 45, David said, I will walk in at liberty, for I seek your precepts. How do you have liberty? How do you have true freedom? When you're walking in the Word of God. 
It was Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 31, when he said, Jesus said to those that believed in him, and if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will be my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Where is that freedom? It's from the perfect law of liberty. But not only does it, is it good, the ministry of the word for examination, it's also good for restoration. You know the word of God is good for restoration, for restoring your life? How does it restore your life? When you go and confess your sin. The Bible says that if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. In fact, in John 15, 3, Jesus said you were already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. The word of God is almost like a cleansing agent that comes upon our heart, our minds, and our soul, and it cleanses us. The word of God. That's why exactly why we need to be in the word every day. Because we need to go to the Word of God so that we can be cleansed now through the Word that purifies us. What does Paul tell the church of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5 where he says husbands ought to now what wash the church or the bride. He gives us an example between the, the Word of God and the bride or the husband and the bride with the washing of the what? Of the Word. The Word of God is that that washes us. But also the Word of God is that that transforms us. It transforms us. So that it conquers our sin and ourself and we grow spiritually. That's why we ought to receive the Word of God. Now, not only are we to receive the Word of God, we're also to obey the Word of God. Do you notice how he just spoke to us about obeying the Word of God in the last two verses? Not only be a hearer, but also be a doer. That means that the next time that we go into the Word of God, into our devotional walk, we're saying, Lord, teach me what your Word says. Help me understand. And what am I to apply in my life today? Because the Word of God is for today. The Word of God wants to do a transforming work in your life today. Now notice here, after we have obeyed the Word of God, we also want to learn how to share the Word of God. Receive it, obey it. But now verse 26 and 27, share it. How are we going to share it? By practicing the Word of God first, but sharing it through others in the way that we talk in our service now, but also sharing it as, as there is a separation of ourselves from the world. The best way to share the Word of God is when you live separate from the world. Notice this, verse 26. If any of you or anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart, and this one's religion is useless. Now notice that he goes back to the tongue. He says, if any of you think that you have a real faith in the Lord, but not only are you not obeying the word of God, not only are you not applying it, but you, you are now not bridling your tongue. What does it mean to bridle your tongue? It really means to put your, trunk, your, your tongue under control. To put a tight rein on your tongue. A bridle, you think about a bridle on a horse, what does it do? It controls the horse. That bridle, what it does, it, it now allows now the master of the horse to navigate that horse in whatever direction he desires. It puts that horse now under control. What he's telling us here, he's saying, put your tongue under control. <laughs> put your speech under control. Because if you think that your faith is real, but you just speak whatever you want to say, then your faith is worthless. Your faith is useless now. In fact, it goes 
contrary to everything that your faith stands for. You must control your tongue. Put a tight rein on it. Now, why is this important for us? Is because we do not want to be those that always want to give an opinion of things without first learning how to control our tongue. You know what's so sad is oftentimes we want to be a busybody in other people's business. We want to give our opinion on other people's lives without first examining our lives in light of God's Word. We have to control our tongue and to mind our own business oftentimes. <laughs> control your tongue, he's saying here. Because if you don't, you're just fooling yourself and your religion is worthless or your faith or the significance of your faith is worthless. You see, obedience means controlling the tongue. And we must do this to really demonstrate to the Lord, Lord, you're not only Lord of my heart, but you're Lord of my tongue now. And there's more than one way to give a message. And that's sometimes with how I'm able to listen. Do you see how impactful here he's telling us this? You see, if, it, if it, it, your, our faith is useless if it doesn't translate in the way that you live your life. And if it doesn't translate in the way that you treat others. Your faith is useless if it does not translate in the way you live your life and the way that you treat others. Oftentimes we treat others contrary to the word of God and to the love of God. And guess what that does to our faith? It makes our faith useless. Here he's saying, don't be deceived regarding the reality of your walk with God. Now in verse 27, as we continue reading here, James chapter 1, we're going to see now that he, how he wants us to serve others. For he says, I want you to harness now your tongue and bridle your tongue. But in verse 27, it says, I, this is how I want you to serve others. And he says this, pure and undefiled. Pure and undefiled. That means that these are practical ways to demonstrate the love of God by being holy and uncompromising. That you would have no pollution in your life. Being holy and uncompromising before God the Father is this. Now notice this. Being pure and undefiled before the world. No, before God. Because the world is not the standard. God is the standard and His holiness is the standard. And that's why He says in verse 27, Pure and undefiled faith or worship or an organized healthy community of believers. This is how it looks like. You want to know how a healthy church looks like? A healthy community of believers and of worship looks like? Pure, how holy, how healthy it looks like. A, the participation of the saints together looks like. Notice how it says this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble. That's the number one. What does it mean? How you treat others. To be compassionate and concerned about others' needs. Specifically those that are weak. Those that are vulnerable now. You see, he's talking about a sacrificial Christian love that meets the needs. A faith that inspires action. He's saying pure, holy, undefiled religion is this. That you go out and you actually meet the needs that are around you. And you go and visit widows and orphans. You love those that are fatherless. That you go and have a lending hand to those that need help. Because our words are not a substitute for deeds of love. 
There are often times that we want to give a lot of words, but that is not a substitute for a deed of love. In John chapter 3, verse 16 and 18, 1 John, what does it say? By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, that we also ought to lay our life down for our brethren. But whoever has his world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth in love, in reality, and in application. How does God want us to love? In application. He wants us to love as doers of the Word of God. Now notice this as we finish this portion today, and it says, and to keep oneself, and to maintain oneself unspotted from the world. This is a big one here. To keep yourself holy. Today we want to talk about everyone being happy, but nobody being holy. And what makes you feel good? Here he's talking about a life that is obedient here. Refuse to let the world corrupt you with its values, number one. With what it stands for, number two. With the sins that entangle you as well. Refuse to let the world corrupt you. Live in holiness. Unspotted. Why unspotted? Because the world wants to spot the church it wants to defile the church wants to contaminate the church it wants to come in and contaminate the church and guess what happens we become friends of the world number one then we love the world number two and then we're conformed like the world number three and hear what he's saying become unspotted do not let the world spot you become holy do not be conformed by the values by the traditions by the sins of the world what is in 1 John? What does he warn us? Chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of this world. When we come in love, to, to in love with the things of this world, guess what? We become in love with all the wrong things. When your aspirations and your ideas of success is the same as the world's standards, then we have failed and we have missed the mark. Our greatest success is in our obedience to the Lord and in our holiness. Everything outside of that everything outside of holiness and obedience to the Lord is not from God and if we see success attainable in a form that will compromise our walk then we are missing the mark as believers I mean think about it what good is it if you got everything you wanted in life but you missed the mark at the end of your life what good is it keep yourself unspotted from the world for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of the Lord abides forever. The best way, I'm going to tell you this as we close, the best way to minister to the needs of the world is to be pure from the defilement of the world. Why? Because you cannot minister to anyone while you're living in sin. You cannot minister to anyone while you're living in sin. And notice this, the Christian walk here, it's not one that you can come and just observe it and be a hearer. Hear what he says, I want you to be one that applies everything. It's almost as the example that we talked about earlier today with the men. If you go to a college class, you learn that very quickly that there are some students there that are there for credit and others are for audit. 
And an audit student is there just to hear really maybe he or she might not take the test or the exam or, or participate in the group projects because they're there just for audit, just to hear. They don't really have, are held accountable to the same degree of everything that they learn. They don't really have to turn in any assignment. They don't have those responsibility as one that goes in there for credit. And there are too many times Christians that are in the Christian walk as auditors. I'm just auditing now the message. I'm just here to audit the message. I'm here just to listen to the message. But I'm really not held responsible to anything or I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to get involved now. I'm not going to have the responsibility now because where I am standing now in light of God's word. No, today James has told us very clearly that we ought to get up close, personal, in the Word of God and let it transform your life. Let it examine you. Let it reveal those secret sins in your life that it would transform your life. Here in chapter 1 of James, what has he told us already? That the trial is the opportunity and the time for number one for growth, but the trial is an opportunity for also application. Are you growing today? And are you applying the truths of the Word of God? Because it's not until you apply that you are able to grow with everything that God has for us in His Word. Can we pray right now? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You. For we thank You, Lord. Because Your Word is perfect. It's the perfect law of liberty, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that You would move us into action, Lord, in the times that we're living in. That we would not be silent observers only, Lord. But that we would be involved participants of what you want for us.